1: Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. I'm Sean Cooper, and it's great to be back for another episode. On today's show, I'll be talking to Mark Wisletter. Mark is a senior partner at realestatelawyers.ca. Mark is recognized as an industry expert on real estate issues, having spoken for real estate associations, boards, and brokerages across Canada. Mark is a regular guest expert on BNN, Global News, City TV, and CTV, and has written columns for the Toronto Star and Real Estate Magazine on real estate issues. Mark has written best-selling industry books for real estate agents, buyers, sellers, and landlords. In my interview with Mark, we discuss how the legal process has changed when buying a home during COVID times, some important things to know about real estate deposits, and how people can complete their refinancing to take advantage of the low interest rates. Without further ado, here's my interview with Mark wiseletter Hi, Mark. How are you doing today?
0: Excellent. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sean.
1: Great. I'm looking forward to having you on the show. It's always great to speak with a real estate lawyer. There certainly have been some interesting things this year with COVID-19. So I'm super excited to speak with you today.
0: It's my pleasure to be here.
1: Great. Well, let's get started with the topic related to COVID-19. So could you tell us, Mark, how has the legal process changed when buying a home during COVID times?
0: Well, when it comes to the legal process, I'm going to talk a little bit about just how lawyers process a transaction and not necessarily about how people do showings uh, with agents, et cetera, because those are separate topics. But as real estate lawyers, uh, we immediately at our firm, we wanted to try to make sure we could complete every part of a real estate deal safely without having to meet with a client. Number one, through changes uh, announced at the Law Society, we are now able to sign up every client in a Zoom-type meeting using DocuSign, which is the way that real estate agents sign up uh, buyers and sellers. Clients, we can sign them up seven days a week, no matter where they are. They do not have to travel or miss work to sign any paperwork ready for closing. The second thing that we found that we did is that our firm is a bill payment at all the major banks. As you can imagine, it's much easier to pay bills online than it is to line up at a branch with a mask. And because our firm is, we do it that way, buyers can actually pay us the down payment right from their computer at home just doing an online transfer. So they don't have to stand in line at a branch, usually at reduced hours with a mask in order to either get a bank draft or initiate a wire at the bank. So for our buyers, we've made it easier to do that. And uh, for sellers, we always transfer the money after closing directly into their bank account with an electronic funds transfer. And the difference between that and a certified check is that the seller can immediately have access to their funds. And our firm a few years ago started giving sellers a lockbox to leave on their door with the keys so that once the deal is closed, we just give the lockbox code to the buyer lawyer and the buyer can attend at the property, let themselves in without any Exchange of keys having to happen. So by doing all of these things, we have been able to effectively get an entire real estate deal done without having to meet with a client. So it's done safely as well.
1: No, That's great to hear. Thank you for explaining that so clearly. And I'm just curious, was there some catching up in terms of the rules? Did the real estate rules need to be updated in Ontario? I'm sure that perhaps some of the rules didn't allow for some of this stuff to be done virtually. Did the rules change in Ontario to kind of catch up with the times with what we were going through in terms of COVID?
0: Well, I think you know some of the major things were that they, they stopped permitting open houses, as an example, and they put strict rules around showings to make sure that they're done very safely and anybody entering a property follows all the protocol. I know the industry as a whole did that and uh, agents have been having the ability to sign people up through DocuSign and email for even before COVID. So that provided a welcome sort of ability, again, for them to get uh, deals done without having to have that personal interaction to sign paperwork. So the association, especially in Ontario and across the country, they've been doing everything they can to make sure that people can still buy and sell homes safely, because
1: really, this is an essential service for so many people. No, I agree completely. If you're not able to get one part of a transaction done, then definitely it will make your life a lot more complicated. And and just lastly, in terms of the actual dealing with a real estate lawyer like yourself, different lawyers offer their services in different ways. But let's say the typical real estate lawyer transaction was that you met with your lawyer in their office. And a lot of this stuff was done in person, but how how has that changed with the whole COVID-19 situation?
0: So as I've said, we will do this now in a Zoom meeting. So we will actually see the client and through Zoom and be able to see them sign all the paperwork, whether they're signing paperwork in front of them or signing on an iPhone during the signature uh, uh, meeting and we also verify their identity at the same time. And so we're able to do everything we could do in person. We're able to do that in a, a face-to-face, so to speak, Zoom uh, meeting. So it works. Now, in some cases, we, if a client really wants to come into the office, we permit it. We do it safely in a boardroom where there's plenty of social distancing and, and everybody wears a mask. But I would say, over 95% of the time now. Since COVID, we're doing it through a Zoom-type meeting.
1: Perfect. Thanks uh, very much for explaining it. So let's switch gears for a moment. I've read many of your interesting articles in the Toronto Star over the years, so just wanted to touch on a few of, of them with the next few questions. So my first question for you is, what are some important things to know about real estate deposits. You wrote an interesting article on six things to know about real estate deposits. And yes, uh, if you could just talk about uh, one or two of those points.
0: People have to understand that you know when they sign a real estate contract, it's a binding agreement. Most real estate agreements are signed and they say that the deposit will be payable within 24 hours of the agreement being signed. And so let's say you sign a contract for 400,000 and there's a deposit of $20,000 and you're supposed to pay it within 24 hours. Some buyers think, well, you know what? I changed my mind. I'm not gonna pay the deposit. I'm just gonna cancel the deal. Well, unfortunately, the minute you sign that agreement, it's a binding agreement. You just can't change your mind. So by not paying the deposit, it's the same as if you didn't close the deal. And now the seller has the ability to really list the property, sell it again. And if they sell for less money, they can still sue the buyer. And even if they sold for more money, they could sue the buyer for the deposit that was not paid. And so that's one sort of lesson I like to tell people that you don't sign a contract for real estate unless you're serious. And then once that deposit is paid, it stays in the brokerage trust account. And that typically will be paid to the seller when the deal closes. Now, if the deal does not close for any reason, that deposit stays in the brokerage trust account. And typically, again, the seller will put the property up for sale. If they suffer a loss, they will then sue for that deposit. But it stays in the brokerage Account until the matter is either settled between the parties with some kind of a settlement or somebody takes the other to court and the judge says what happens to the deposit
1: great thanks for sharing those stories there another point i wanted to mention is just having the funds ready for the deposit because i've heard so many times where people have their deposit money in like a high interest savings account and then it takes like 48 hours to move over the money and they they need to provide the deposit in 24 hours so i would definitely say make sure that you have the deposit money in your checking account, you may not earn as much interest, but at least you can meet the timeline and avoid that stress of having to ask for an extension.
0: That's very true. And it's and now, especially because of COVID, lots of times deposits have to be paid by a, a similar wire or electronic funds transfer right to the listing brokerage trust account. So the money has to be available so that that transfer can take place as well in a timely manner. Some people may have uh, accounts at uh, perhaps secondary, uh, I wouldn't say secondary lenders, where it, it might take a little bit more time to have access to the funds and so they shouldn't leave it to the last minute. Uh, you know, an example, if it's in a a simply financial, an excellent uh, institution, sometimes you may not be able to just get a bank draft within an hour it takes a little bit longer in their system so people have to check in advance to make sure they have the money available whether it's for a wire or to get a bank draft to enable them
1: to complete the deposit payment in a timely manner great advice mark thanks again And for the next question, let's switch gears. So we're talking about deposits, but let's jump all the way to the actual closing day. Let's say you bought a property and you're right before closing day or at closing day. What are some things that can go wrong on closing day? And let's focus on the buyer for now with this question and how can you resolve and avoid these issues? And feel free to share some of the stories that you've seen over the years as a real estate lawyer.
0: Well, one of the problems that I see is people who are buying and selling you know, at the same time. So as you know, many people, they're moving up in the market, so they're selling property and buying a property. And I will always tell them that you are much better off closing your purchase first and obtaining bridge financing, which is extra financing from your lender, and then closing your sale maybe just two or three days later. And once you close your sale, you then pay off the bridge finance. And uh, so people complain a little bit about the cost. Well, we have to pay a little bit of higher interest on the bridge financing, there's fees. But you see, what people don't understand is if you try and close a purchase and a sale on the same day, imagine it's a Friday before a long weekend, for example. And so these people will be packing up their home in the morning and driving to the new property and they may get to the new property at one o'clock ready to move in. Unfortunately, they can't move in until we close both their sale and their purchase. And sometimes a sale may not close until close to 6 p.m. because there may be delays in getting money from the bank, wires, etc. So I've had many uh, buyers complained that they sat outside the house for four and a half hours paying mover's fees and they couldn't get into the house because the deal didn't close in time. Those costs, by the way, probably exceed whatever they would have paid in bridge find, but at least they were able to close. I've had other situations where they're sitting on that truck and then the on their sale the buyer lawyer calls and says, you know what, we had a delay with our financing. We need an extension until Monday or in some cases, Tuesday, if it's a long weekend. So now, if you can't close the sale, you don't have the money to close your purchase. So now imagine that you're that family on a truck, nowhere to go. Where are you going to store your furniture? Where are you going to stay over the weekend? It's a nightmare. And this is why that I try to warn people, don't buy and sell on the same day, because those are real problems. And it's not the lawyer's fault if the buyer can't close and needs an extension. You see, if you would have closed with bridge financing your purchase, well, then if the seller couldn't close because the buyer needed an extension, it's fine. They just pay the costs of the of the extension and everything's fine. They pay the extra interest. That's a big lesson for people where at all possible, please try to close your purchase first. But uh, there was a very amusing story I remember hearing once where we had a very elderly client who was selling and buying on the same place. And uh, she was using the money from her sale to move into a condominium she was buying. So she could not get bridge financing because she wasn't getting a mortgage. I recall asking the lawyer for the deal she was selling. I was at two weeks before closing. I was calling saying, you know, do you have your mortgage? We need this money to close the purchase. And uh, he said he had it, he had it, he had it. And I sort of just assumed everything was gonna go well. And then I remember it was like five o'clock on Friday and my clerk calls me to say, the buyer lawyer is asking for an extension. So I'm just heartbroken. Oh my gosh. What am I gonna say to this woman? What am I going to say to this woman? You know, she can't move in. She, you know, she's in a truck. I, I feel horrible. But first, of course, I had to make sure that we could extend her purchase, right? For the, because we were in default, uh, theoretically. So I called the lawyer. The lawyer was very nice. He said, not to worry. We can close on Monday. Everything is fine. So now I'm sort of dreading what to say. P.S., my clerk calls me back before I could even pick up the phone and says, "Uh, Mark, she's in the condominium. Uh And I said, how can she be in the condominium? We didn't give her keys. We didn't close. She said she got to the building and the concierge let her in. (laughs) He felt sorry for he let her into the unit because the sellers had already left. And so... She was smarter than everybody, but I can't give that advice, (laughs) I have to tell you. I sort of just ran away. But the good news was that we were able to close everything out on the uh, Monday morning, but uh, I don't advise anybody to do anything like that. The other sort of closing issues, and they're, they're not necessarily major issues, but people find either things damaged or things that they thought were going to be included in the deal have been taken. And a lot of this results in either not properly inspecting the home in the first place when you sign an agreement, or you're just not careful to include everything. And you have to include everything. Because some people say, well, if it's attached, then it obviously goes with the house. Well, that's not necessarily true. Just because something's attached doesn't mean the seller agreed to make it permanent. And I've seen all kinds of arguments about mirrors, about closet organizers, similar items, drapes, window coverings. Are they attached? Are they not attached? And the lesson I've learned over the years is be as detailed as possible. Because if you're detailed in the agreement as to what you expect to receive, you're not gonna have an issue later. I remember a funny story. It might've been in my third year practice. One of my partners uh, bought a home and he came the next day and I said, congratulations on your purchase. And he said, well, they took the light switch off. And I, I thought, you know, around every light switch there's a plate you know, wow, they
1: actually removed that? That's pretty crazy. That, that's what I thought. But no, he
0: told me they took the whole switch. So there were just wires coming out of the wall. Wow. What, what were they thinking? I started laughing. And I, I, he said, I'm not finished. I said, what happened? He said, they took out all the toilets. Now I'm laughing. Oh, That's crazy. <laughs> because number one, I'm thinking why does somebody need an extra two or three toilets? You know, anyway, but that was, that was another story. But apparently there was some miscommunication because the buyers, the sellers had heard that my partner was planning to demolish the house. So they figured he wouldn't need the toilets because he's demolishing the house or the switches. What they didn't hear was he was going to live there for a year and then demolish the house. Oops. So I remember saying to him, David, thank you so much. And he said, why are you thanking me? Oh my God, now when somebody calls me after closing that the oven's not working, I'm gonna say, be happy you have your toilets. I had something to say to those people. So those are some of my lessons that you always wanna be as detailed as possible to make sure you're not disappointed
1: at closing and try to avoid those issues. Great, thanks so much for sharing those great stories with our listeners. And it's my understanding that you you suggest to clients that they close on a Wednesday rather than a, a Friday. Why is that, Mark? I would think that at least you, ha- you can try to fix things the next day, but with a Friday and if it's a long week weekend, they have to wait like several days. Is is that yes. the main reason why? Yeah, that's
0: that's a, a, a good example why when you when you're do- doing a deal during the week, at most you might be extending to the next morning. I usually tell people, don't plan on moving in on the day of closing because we may not close until six o'clock. And so you're better off checking the home in the evening and moving in the next day. And so if if you've got arrangements like that and a deal has to be extended a day, you could still manage to work everything out. You close the next morning, and then you move in as you were going to move in anyways. But when you do it on at, on a Friday, you see, it doesn't work that way. You know, you were planning to move in, you know, on a Saturday or on a Sunday, but now you have to wait till Monday before you can actually finish this. So this is why, yes, in most cases, if
1: you can close midweek, it makes more sense than a Friday. Perfect, and let's switch gears for a moment to tenants. Some people like renting out part of their property as like a mortgage helper, having a tenant there. So I just wanted to ask your advice on buying a property when there are already tenants there. Like, what are your rights? Can you just throw out the tenants or how does that work exactly? And let's say you're buying a property and then you want it rented out yourself. Do you have any suggestions on avoiding bad tenants? Well, the issue of tenants is right now, further complicated
0: by the fact that we have COVID. And also the landlord and tenant board, even though it's open again, and it's processing evictions, the timing to get a hearing could be delayed three to six months, depending on where you apply. So imagine now how this impacts a sale process. So if you're selling a home occupied by a tenant, You may have buyers, some buyers may want to buy it as an investment and keep the tenant. Other buyers may say, no, we want to move in ourselves. Well, they have to be able to show the property to a buyer. But I've seen many examples where tenants are saying, we're not permitting showings because we're afraid, we're vulnerable, we're not letting anybody in. And who's to say? whether or not the tenant is acting reasonably by doing that, you know, just by saying, well, the people are wearing masks. Well, that's not a hundred percent solution. And even if the tenant was not acting in good faith, it would take you three to six months to get a hearing to decide. So you see, there's a real issue right there. It's similar. Tenants not allowing buyers to come in and do their final visit before closing for the same reason. So these, this adds complications to the deal. So right, my advice typically for sellers that if you're selling a property and you're looking for a buyer who will take over the property themselves and not continue with the tenant, then my advice is usually meet with the tenant first, make a deal to see if you can find them another place to live, even if it means paying them an incentive to leave early. And then you're able to stage the house, show the house, sell the house, and more important, close the house without incident. Because let's say you found a buyer and the buyer wants to move in and you give the tenant the proper 60-day notice. It could still take you six months, an eviction hearing if the tenant disputes. So what's the buyer going to do during this period? So those are some real issues today affecting a lot of real estate deals. And you're better off meeting the issue head on before you even put your property for sale, depending what you're doing. Now, if you bought a property and it was vacant, and now you want to rent it out, Well, you're going to try to make sure you qualify the tenant properly. And, you know, there are good property management firms that do this kind of work. And I I always try to advise people to work with somebody who has experience in qualifying tenants because... There are a lot of searches, there are a lot of information. It's not just a credit check, but good property managers are also checking social media on people. Just seeing the kinds of stuff that's put on social media in qualifying tenants because you wanna make sure you're finding a tenant that is gonna pay the rent and you're, you're gonna be able to sleep at night because we, as I've just tried to say, if you get a tenant who does not wanna pay the rent, it could take months before you get them evicted. So extremely important to do proper qualification and where unless you're very good at this, I highly
1: recommend you use some type of property management firm to help you find your tenants. Great advice, Mark. Thanks for that. Today we're seeing record low mortgage rates, even lower than during the financial crisis back in the late 2000s. So my question for you is, how can people complete their refinancing to, to take advantage of the low rates that exist today? And perhaps feel free to talk about how the refinance process works from a, a legal standpoint as well, what, what you do on your end as part of the refinance.
0: There are many different kinds of refinancings that people will look to, to, to do. One is, okay, your mortgage is at a certain amount, it's coming to an end, and maybe you want to increase the principal and take advantage of the fact that we do have very historically low interest rates right now. You may have credit card debts that you want to pay. So rather than pay credit card interest of 20%, you could find a new mortgage, just increase the principal and have this extra money for paying off credit cards, maybe doing some necessary renovations in your home. And many lenders may increase the principal up to 80% of the value of your property. That would be one example where people would want to do this, to take advantage of these historically low rates. And so they go, and uh, I always recommend people work with a mortgage broker who can give them all their options, depending on what they're looking for. And as a law firm, we will then uh, be appointed by the lender to protect them. So once you get the approval for your refinancing, I always say to my clients, just give my contact information to the lender and the lender will send me the instructions, what I have to do. And they're not always the same. So in some cases, the lender will say, just pay off this one mortgage and we're increasing the principal and that's it. In other cases, they may say, you've got to use the money to pay off three or four credit card bills. And so then the client is gonna have to send me the credit card bills and we pay them all off as part of this refinancing. So it's it, it still is a wonderful way for you to consolidate all your debts and they can be done relatively quickly. At our firm, we're open every business day in December as an example. And so we can do a refinancing sometimes within seven to 10 days and to get people the funds they need quickly. And so they can have access to, for example, sometimes extra money to use for whatever it is they need. If you have this ability, this is an incredible time to take advantage of, as
1: you know, the historically low interest rates that are available. No, I couldn't have said it better myself. And lastly, you've told some interesting and funny stories uh, during the podcast. But just wondering if you could finish the podcast off by sharing one more interesting story with uh, with our listeners.
0: I try to think of some of the things that have happened on closing. So I remember on one, I had a family call me saying, "Mark, we they closed the deal at four o'clock." And normally, you know, whenever I get a call from a buyer at seven o'clock on the day of closing, they're not usually calling to say, thank you, Mark, for being my lawyer. So usually when they call me at seven o'clock on the day of closing, it means that something's up. (laughs) And so I remember one family calls at seven and they say, we're at the house, Mark. Oh, congratulations. I've got my whole family here, the moving truck, terrific. I'm so happy for you. We've got dinner ordered in, we're celebrating great. I'm sorry, I can't be there. We're on the front door and we have the key. And I said, of course, we gave you the key. There are two locks on the front door. We only have one key.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: (laughs) We see the keys. They're in the kitchen. We can see them through the window, but we're on the front step. And so one of the things I carry is I have a 24-hour locksmith that I refer them to right away. But I say in the meantime, see if you can get your agent to find the seller's agent. There's usually an extra key around. Within about 45 minutes, they were able to find the agent to come and let them in so their problem was solved. And so there's a a lesson to make sure you always have sufficient keys. I had another one where people called at seven o'clock and said, we're in the house. I said, great, we're moving in. Terrific there's a strange man living in the basement (laughs) and he wasn't here when we did the home inspection and he was never here, but he says he has a verbal lease with the owner. Can you imagine moving into your house and a strange person is in your basement? Yeah. What do we do? I said, call the police. He's trespassing. What else could I do? You know, I said, call the police. Now it turned out they were able within, 24 hours to have him removed by the seller. But those those are, uh, you know, there's never a dull moment with any real estate transaction. And, you know, look, we're in a time where sometimes people are having trouble getting their mortgages last minute. Sometimes they ask for delays. And the good news is real estate lawyers are doing their best to try to resolve these things and work out settlements or extensions that are fair to everybody when these things happen. That's why I always enjoy real estate. It's not adversarial. The real estate lawyers in general, we want the deals to close and we're going to work together with the other lawyers and the clients to try to make sure that if problems arise, we can resolve them in a friendly manner. I'll give you an example of one where The buyers called me two days before closing in tears. And I said, "Why? what's wrong? They said, well, we just went to do our final visit. The sellers left. And it turns out that this house was advertised as exclusive privacy. And they had like these four magnificent evergreen trees on one side of the property. So on the day the seller is moving out, the neighbor says, a lot of these branches from your evergreen, are on our property. Do you mind if we cut the branches back to the property line? And legally, you are allowed to cut branches back to the property line as long as you don't damage the tree. That's the legal answer. So the seller said, of course, if you want to cut some branches. So the seller's left. P.S. The neighbor cut down every branch of whatever wow. branch. So can you <laughs> imagine the buyer?
1: It's not somebody away. I would like as my neighbor. <laughs>
0: yeah the the buyers go to the backyard and there's four like telephone poles sitting there, no privacy on one side, they're in hysterics, and they they don't want to close the deal now, unfortunately, although this is not a good and these these sellers would probably be responsible for some compensation. The buyers could not refuse to close, and so I remember I didn't know what to do, so I called my wife because when it comes to gardening and landscaping i know nothing and i i said to her you put up these cedar hedges in the backyard a couple of years ago and they gave us almost immediate privacy how how much did you pay for those cedar hedges and she said they were $150 each. And I said, is that the price you paid or the price you tell me you paid? Because you see with my wife, those are always two different numbers, but it turned out it was $150. So P.S. I called the seller lawyer and I said, look, here's a picture. I can have my buyers buy eight cedar hedges for $1,200 and they'll have privacy on that side speak to your sellers, see if they'll give us a credit for 1200 and let's close the deal. And that's exactly what happened. And we closed the deal. So, you know, you're going to do what you can to try to resolve every type of closing issue. I hope that gives you a little bit of a sample of just some of the things I see as
1: a real estate lawyer. Well, that's a perfect way to end the podcast. And on that note, Mark, it's been great having you on the show. Before I let you go, is there anything of interest that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well,
0: I, I, uh, although we've said it in our podcast, we, I'm very proud of the fact that our firm is able to do every part of a real estate deal remotely from transferring money, everything online. Video signups. We're unique that way. And we're also, as I said, open every business day till the end of the year. So if anybody has any questions or needs any assistance with a purchase, a sale, or a refinancing, it's just mark at realestate lawyers.ca. And I'd be delighted to assist.
1: Thanks for listening to another episode of the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. Besides being a podcast host, I'm also an independent mortgage broker. If you or anyone you know, family, friends, coworkers, or neighbors could ever use any unbiased mortgage advice or a second opinion, feel free to reach out. Email me at sean, that's S-E-A-N, at burnyourmortgage.ca or call or text me at 647-867-3711 for a free mortgage consultation also be sure to head on over to www.BurnYourMortgage.ca and sign up for my free weekly newsletter as a small token of my appreciation you'll be able to download my Ultimate Mortgage Checklist on Choosing the Perfect Mortgage. I look forward to hearing from you and helping you with all your mortgage needs. Once again, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating.
0: Until next time, happy mortgage burning!